Our text for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, Jesus tells a parable after a, a series of teachings, extended teachings, on what he means by faith. Uh, he's been talking about this little thing called the kingdom of God. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, and just now, he's starting to describe it a little better. After the parable he tells this morning, he'll go on to tell the parables of the mustard seed, those parables which he tries to, to fill out what the kingdom of God might look like. He knows that his audience, especially the religious elite in his audience, assume that the kingdom of God is a place where people like them, the good, the upright, the moral, belong, and where sinners, well, not so much. So with that in mind, I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. He also, this is Jesus speaking, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I mean, do I, do I even need to preach a sermon? <laughs> I will. I will. I'm going to. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Is this a familiar prayer to you? Or am I the only one? I pray it more often than I care to admit. And uh, it can take a lot of different forms, right? I prayed a version of it just yesterday at my son's soccer game. God, thank you that we are not like Westlake. <laughs> You're welcome for that. The people not laughing are fans of Westlake, just so you know. They've been outed. A few years ago, the, the, so the social psychologist Jonathan Haidt wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. Maybe... Maybe you've read it, in which he makes a pretty compelling case that uh, an obsession, a controlling obsession with righteousness is the default human condition. It's a feature, not a bug. The, the longing to be seen as, as right or as good is what drives um, each and every one of us. And we really just can't underestimate um, how strong this desire is in us. And we're usually not just simply content to be righteous, right? We need to be more righteous than others 
the people around us. And the results are, are never good. Notice that uh, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and regarded others with contempt. If self-righteousness is driving, usually contempt is riding shotgun. Now, uh, because of this obsession with righteousness, one of the things that we do when we hear a story like the one we've just heard is to jump pretty quickly to what we think is its obvious application for our lives, right? In other words, Jesus tells us a story about a good guy and a bad guy. And the point of the story is for us to be like the good guy. That's how we become righteous. The Pharisee in this case is obviously the bad guy, and we shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be proud or arrogant. We shouldn't look down at other people from um, our own position. Instead, we should be like the good guy. We should be like the tax collector. And why is he the good guy? Because he's humble. So we should be like that. We should be humble. And that'll work just about until you hit the parking lot today. <laughs> the problem with this approach is that sooner or later, the tax collector turns into the Pharisee. Sooner or later, you will find yourself praying, God, I thank you that I am not like those Pharisees. I thank you that I am not proud. I am not self-righteous. I am not desperate to appear holy. I thank you that, you know what, God, I have the humility to receive your mercy. I met with a, a group of pastors recently, and as we were going around the room introducing ourselves, one of the pastors, uh, who is a friend of mine and who I've heard him say this before, introduced himself by saying his name, which I have struck from the record to protect the innocent. Um, but he also introduces himself as a Baptist minister, but not that kind of Baptist. <laughs> we all laugh too, but you can, you can see my point, right? My friend Mike says that whenever we come across a story in scripture like the one that we have read today, we should remember three things. The first thing we should remember is that all stories are true, and some of them actually happened, which is a particularly good thing to remember when you come across a parable. The second thing that Mike says is that we should remember all stories are about us. Right? Let's not pretend that the stories in scripture are simply confined to their own time and place. Let's not pretend this morning that the Pharisees were the only people in history capable of self-righteousness. But then the third thing he says is that all stories are bids. All stories are bids. They're invitations for us to change in some way. It's no doubt true that we are obsessed with righteousness. Take a look at your life and I think that you will come to that same conclusion. And it's easy to see, I think, how this story applies to us here and now, but what exactly is the bid that this story makes? If we wanna think a little bit more deeply than just beyond be humble. What is the bid here? Let's consider first the characters. And I really want you to try as hard as you can to forget everything you know about the Pharisees being the villains of the New Testament. Okay? Give this guy some credit, right? And if it helps, replace um, the Pharisee in this story with someone you actually know, whose faith you deeply admire. It's probably a good idea not to tell them that you thought of them when you were asked to think of a Pharisee, but think of someone who takes their faith seriously, who applies it to their life, who gives uh, of their time, who, who has already made their 2023 pledge. <laughs> it's in the, it is in the Bible. 
This Pharisee, uh, he's a good guy, right? He takes his faith seriously. He's fair in his business practice. He's faithful to his wife. He's, he's no doubt more patient with his children than I am. He puts his faith into practice. In short, this Pharisee is the kind of person that we all hope to become. The tax collector, on the other hand, is kind of the worst, right? I mean, he is the worst kind of a crook. He is a collaborator with the Roman occupation. He's working with the enemy to enrich himself and to um, you know, oppress his fellow Jews. He's not a man of faith, as far as we can tell. He is not someone that I hope my children turn out to be. So what do, we, what do we know? The Pharisee goes into the temple and he says a prayer. The tax collector goes in and says a prayer. And Jesus tells them that only one of them leaves justified. And it's safe to say that it isn't the one that they thought it should be. So why does Jesus tell such an unacceptable parable? The theologians tell us that justification is simply the need that every human being has for someone to say yes to them instead of no. To be justified is to have a sense that you're okay, that you are uh, enough, that you are worthy. And each and every one of us in this room has this need too. The Pharisee thinks that God will only say yes to him if he is good or because he is good. And so he edits his life just a little bit to maximize approval. Does it sound familiar at all? Look, if you have Instagram, that should sound familiar, just a little bit. He self-justifies. Lord, I'd like to remind you that I'm doing all of the things that you have told me to do, and I'm avoiding all of the things that you have told me to avoid, and just in case you might have missed it, I'm actually doing a little bit extra. I'm tithing pre-tax. Why is he like this? Is it pride? Maybe, partly. But I also think it's maybe deeper than that. I, I think he fundamentally, he, he genuinely misunderstands what his relationship with God is based on. He, he, approaches his relationship with God as a transaction. I behave this way, I get this in return. And get a sense of this from his prayer. He lists all the impressive things he has done for God, but he doesn't ever get around to actually asking God for anything. Why would he? He's kind of doing it all on his own. The reason for this is that his view of God is actually pretty low. And his view of himself is ridiculously high. And notice what this does to his relationships with others. Uh, a Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, once wrote that when we confess our virtues, we become competitors. When we confess our virtues, we become competitors, which is exactly what the Pharisee does. Thank God, thank God, I'm not like this guy over here. Here's the thing, you keep going long enough like this and you will be both lonely and burned out. You might be able to keep up the performance, or at least the appearance of performance for a little while, but everyone, everyone eventually falls short. Thankfully, there's another way to live. And we see this through the example of the tax collector 
who walks into the temple without comparing himself with anyone else who is there. In fact, we're told that he stands far off. He won't even lift his eyes up toward heaven. His view of God is very high, and consequently, he has a very low, and I, I would actually just say an accurate view of himself. Right? He's not self-loathing. He's not, I don't think he thinks he's incapable of doing any good. He is just aware of his reality. Um, there's a song from, sorry, Taylor Swift's new album from this weekend. Some of you might have already heard it. Um, I'm outing myself. It repeats the lines, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Thank you, Taylor. We've been waiting for you to say that for years. <laughs> but that's what the tax collector prays. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. He simply asks God for the things he needs most, which is mercy. And notice that he doesn't remind God of how humble or how contrite he is. He doesn't approach God as if his relationship is transactional at all. He knows he brings absolutely nothing to the table. And if you don't believe Taylor Swift, take it from C.S. Lewis, who once wrote that we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come to God as rebels to lay down our arms. We surrender. We throw ourselves at the mercy of God. As if Jesus hasn't already kind of challenged the Pharisees enough, he ends the parable with a bit of mystery. All he says is that the tax collector goes home justified. We don't know what happens next. We don't know if he changes his tax collecting ways. We don't know if he quits being a tax collector. We don't know if he becomes a good person. For all we know, the tax collector could keep showing up to the temple week in, week out, and saying the same exact prayer. We don't know. Jesus, why, why not tell us how the mercy completely transformed his life? Because that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that God's mercy isn't deserved or isn't reserved for people who deserve it, either before or after he gives it. It's a gift. That's what God's mercy is. And with God's mercy, there are no takebacks. He's not going to go claw the mercy back from the tax collector. And so he interprets the parable by saying, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Eugene Peterson's translation is this, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But, but, if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. If you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. To be yourself is to admit that you are a person in need. Everybody needs something. Everybody needs grace every once in a while. To admit that you don't have anything to bring to the table but yourself. And here's the good news. The good news is that God already knows this about you, which means that he expects you to be imperfect, unimpressive, and frankly, quite needy. So you can stop pretending. So 
What is the bid to change? Well, if there is a bid in this story that goes beyond a simple prescription to be humble, it's this. And it might not be what you expect. In the words of Eugene Peterson, be yourself. Because apparently God isn't interested in your list of achievements. He's not interested in your spiritual progress or how you compare yourself to anyone else. But what he does seem to be interested in is someone who admits their need for mercy, someone who knows that they don't have it all together, someone who has not yet achieved work-life balance, someone who will never become the best version of themselves. But also someone who knows that each and every day is a fresh opportunity for both maybe failure and redemption. And if that's you, I have good news. That's exactly the kind of God shows mercy. And with God's mercy, there's no take backs. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.